Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Today we are continuing in our Save to Serve series, uh, How We Are Saved to Serve as Parents. And while I'm really enjoying this, service, uh, this series, rather, I, I think there's a little bit of a challenge that comes with it, and that challenge is that for every sermon that we preach to a particular calling in life, there might be people who say, I don't really know if this sermon applies to me. So if you're married uh, and you hear a sermon about singleness, you might say, how does this apply to me? Or if you're single and you hear a sermon about marriage, you might think, does this really apply to me? And the same thing with a sermon on parenting. But what I want us to see today as we walk through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, uh, Paul's words to parents, I want us to see that really parenting is something that applies to all of us in the church. Because as we'll see, the end goal of all Christian parenting is that we would pass on the faith to the next generation. And that's not just something that moms and dads do alone, but we do it together as a church. Uh, so whether you're a parent or not a parent, or maybe you're a grandparent, uh, we all have an opportunity to come alongside uh, the families and the children in this church. It might be through teaching Sunday school or, or helping with confirmation or with vacation Bible school. It, it might be praying for the children in our church. It might even be just getting to know them and saying hello to them uh, in between services. It might even be that you find uh, that, that young family after church and you say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad your kids are in church. We're glad that you're here. There's all these different ways that we can partner together. So while this sermon will be very much targeted to parents, it's also for us as the whole church. Now I want to begin today with a quote from a book that we just read as a staff. Uh, the book is called Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became Our New Religion and What to Do About It. I have to take a breath after that title. It's a long title, but uh, this book is written by David Zoll, came out about a year or two ago, and really it talks about how Americans are really religious, but they're not necessarily in church because they're worshiping other things, and one of those things that we worship is parenting. Sometimes we make the raising of our children something that we obsess over with anxiety and guilt and frustration because we want to make sure we're doing our absolute best, not just for the sake of our kids, but because we're worshiping this act of parenting. Uh, this is a quote from Zoll in his chapter on parenting. He says this, Few subjects provoke more anxiety in our culture than raising kids. The deluge of parenting resources corresponds more or less directly to the size of our fears, which previous generations would likely classify as paranoia. He's talking about all the, the host of parenting books and parenting styles out there. Then he goes on to say, Rarely does a month go by without some fresh parenting trend making headlines, ringing some fresh alarm bell about all the ways that we're ruining our kids. Do you think that kind of communicates a little bit of what we feel as parents sometimes? We wonder, are we doing this right? Are we doing it right? I think that there is a high level of anxiety for many parents. 
Now, the purpose of this sermon is not to increase our anxiety as parents, uh, but rather to help us to be motivated to serve as parents through better motivations, motivations like trust and peace and the love of God poured out into our hearts. So we're going to take a look at just one single sentence from the Scriptures. It's really interesting that Paul could have said anything about parenting, and, and to think about how there's all these parenting books out there, and, and, you know, some of them are good. All these different parenting strategies. But Paul just gives us one sentence. He gave us a paragraph on marriage, but he just gives us one sentence. Let's read this together. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction, instruction of the Lord. So that's our text for today. Now, Paul is not going to address some of our concerns as modern 21st century parents. Uh, Paul's not going to say anything about eating nutritious food, avoiding sugar and stuff like that. He says nothing about high fructose corn syrup or anything like that, right? Paul is not going to talk about parenting styles, whether you should use an ergo carrier, like an attachment parenting kind of thing, or if you should follow maybe like a baby-wise parenting uh, style. He's not going to talk about any of those things, those things that might concern us And they're good questions to think about, are not really the bottom line that Paul is going to address. Paul is rather going to address the bottom line of Christian parenting, the end goal for which all parenting exists. And he's going to do that by saying, don't do this, but instead do this. So that'll be our focus. But not just don't do this, but instead do this, but we're going to talk about the motivations underneath these commands that Paul gives, the motivations not of guilt or anxiety or fear, but the motivations of trust, the motivation of love that God gives to us as parents. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at this first part. Let's read it together again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Paul's addressing uh, the father as the head of the family, as the leader in the family, in in teaching and instructing the kids. Uh, And this also, though, includes mothers. Uh, So let's keep that in mind, that what Paul says to fathers, he says to mothers as well, is they have this joint task of raising the kids in the faith. And the first thing that Paul says is, do not provoke your children to anger. i got to be honest as a parent, and maybe you feel this too, I kind of wish that maybe Paul would have said, children, don't provoke your parents to anger. Uh, Because sometimes that can be the case. And uh, so I think of, you know, helping kids do homework. That can be an exercise in patience. Sometimes I'll admit, I'm the first one to admit that I have caused my uh, my children to be angry in the midst of doing math problems. Uh, There are times that I have, you know, when it's time to clean up the house, that I have maybe uh, provoked my children to anger. It's always fun when your kids know this Bible verse and they quote it at you. That's kind of a humbling moment. But rather what Paul's saying here is that the person who has the authority in the relationship is the one who sets the tone for the relationship. To be the one who's more and more leading the relationship towards peace and gentleness and kindness and all the fruits of the Spirit rather than causing their children to be angry. Now, I think that Paul is saying at least two things here. Number one, Paul is saying that we should have reasonable expectations 
for our kids so that we don't wear them out or frustrate them. In fact, Paul speaks a little bit more about this in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives us another one-sentence statement about parenting. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger lest they lose heart. And so the idea here is that we don't have unreasonable expectations for our kids. Now, let's be clear here. Even though the Bible doesn't say anywhere, thou shalt brush thy teeth, God has given that authority to parents to say, I as the parent know what's best for you. You should brush your teeth twice a day. You know, you should, uh, you should take a shower. Uh, you know, all those things that it's kind of hard to get kids to do sometimes. You should do your homework. God's given that authority to you as a parent, even though there's no direct commandment to those things. But what we're talking about is having unreasonable expectations that put pressure on our kids that God would not have us put pressure on them for. Isn't it true that sometimes we put expectations and pressure on our kids that really don't have to do with God's commandments at all? Uh, Sometimes these expectations are not so much God's expectations, but our expectations. So we might pressure our kids to get A's instead of B's or even C's. We might pressure our kids to do really well in sports. We might pressure our kids to grow up and have a successful career that makes us proud. And obviously, we want our kids to to serve well, right? We want them to use their gifts and talents to serve the world. But we have to be careful that we don't put pressure on them, giving them a version of success that doesn't necessarily look like success in God's eyes. Because success in God's eyes is that our kids would know and savor and trust and treasure Jesus above all things, even if they get C's or B's. So whether it's the, the parent who's, who's yelling from the sidelines or the bleachers, or maybe the parent who's, who's hounding their child to get a better A, or maybe even hounding the teacher to get a better grade. Uh, my wife teaches high school students online, and this is something she encounters all the time, is parents who won't settle for a B for their kids. They've got to have an A. It's this pressure that we do and perform and achieve and succeed when this doesn't necessarily reflect God's expectations for us. In fact, sometimes if we're honest as parents, we have to admit that our expectations for our kids might even reflect just how we look as a parent. That maybe if my kids do really well in school, that makes me look good as a parent. Maybe if my kids are, are well-behaved and maybe if my kids you know, go and make a name for themselves, that people will look at me and say, that's a good parent, that's a good family. And there's nothing wrong with having a good reputation, but we don't want to put pressure on our kids that really doesn't have to do with their well-being, but rather our well-being, our pride, our reputation. It could be that sometimes the pressure that we put on our kids to perform really reveals the things that we worship, our idolatry. Next, I believe that Paul is saying that we should not be harsh or dole out unreasonable discipline to our kids. Now, obviously, we are to set wise boundaries for our children. God loves us as his children and sets wise boundaries for us in his commandments to protect us and protect others. And and God does give us consequences for our actions as he disciplines us gently as our father. So there is a place for discipline as parents. But Paul is warning us against harsh or unreasonable discipline. In Paul's day, he's very likely addressing the strong, stern Roman father who would sometimes rule his family with an iron fist, perhaps even literally. 
In our day, this often refers to parents who sometimes really double down on their kids with harsher, unreasonable discipline because they feel like they're losing their grip on their kids. In fact, sometimes Christian parents can do this because they see the world changing so quickly and so rapidly that we're motivated by this fear and this worry that we might come down really hard on our kids. Now, granted, we want to have boundaries and consequences, but we don't want to break the relationship. It's been said before that rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so Paul calls us to have gentle, wise discipline that's rooted in our love for our children and in their well-being rather than rooted in our own anxiety, guilt, or fear. In fact, as we look elsewhere in Ephesians, we're going to see that Paul gives us a better motivation for bringing our kids up, a motivation that will make us less angry, less fearful, and less guilty. Let's read this together. This is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's addressed to parents and children. It's addressed to all Christians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. At the heart of Christian parenting is that you would realize more and more that before you're ever a parent, parents, you're a child. That's, parent is not your key identity. It's easy sometimes in the trenches of parenting to, to think that mom or dad is your key identity, but the scriptures tell us that your key identity is not parent but child. And not any child, but a beloved child of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, when we realize that we have a Father in heaven who is always parenting us, it helps us to parent less anxious and less fearful. It leads us to become uh, the kind of people who treat our kids the way that God has first treated us in Christ. And so, you know, when your kids are encountering a sibling altercation and your blood pressure starts to rise and you're about to just send everybody to their room immediately, uh, God calls us to take that deep breath and distance ourselves from the situation for a moment and say, God, help me to treat these people the way you've treated me. Because isn't God kind and compassionate and gentle with you when you break his commandments? And so in the same way, God invites parents to treat their children the same way that God has treated them as his beloved children. Something that we need to hear time and time again in this culture of anxious parenting is this, that you parents are not justified by your parenting. Wouldn't you agree with me that we live in a culture where we often justify or condemn ourselves on the basis of how, how well we parent or how well our kids turn out? But that's not the way that we're justified. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us very clearly that you and I have been justified by grace through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, through his work and not by your works. And so that takes the pressure off of us. Yes, we have a high responsibility as parents, but we are not justified by parenting. We are justified by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ alone. On that best day that you have as a parent, when you feel like you're winning it as a parent, when you want to post your Facebook moment of parenting, that doesn't add to God's favor for you. 
Or when you have that lose your marbles moment where you yell at your kids, where you blow up at them, and you just feel awful and guilty. We've all had those moments. God does not judge you on the basis of your parenting. When you have that worst parenting moment, and maybe you have it three or four days in a row, you are still God's beloved child, chosen and beloved in Jesus Christ. And the more we soak in this forgiving love of Jesus Christ, the less angry and anxious and guilty we are, the less these things motivate our parenting. In fact, experiencing the embrace of God's forgiveness in Jesus allows us to do something as parents that many parents don't do. As a parent, some of the closest moments I've had with my kids is when we've had kind of a bad day together and I sit them down and I say, hey guys, I was wrong. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you. I'm sorry that I was unfair. Your dad's a broken sinner just like you. And Jesus isn't done making me like himself yet. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. That's one of the most healing things you can do as a parent is to ask forgiveness from your kids because of the God who forgives you already. Let's move on now to the second part. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's talk about what this means. So Paul said, don't provoke them to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I love that word, bring them up, in the original language, because Paul actually used this word back in Ephesians 5 in the context of marriage, and here it's translated as nourish, that husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives as Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. And so that's really the idea here is nourishing, but this isn't just physical nourishment given to our children, but rather it's spiritual nourishment. And so Paul goes on to talk about this ongoing action of discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's talk about these two words, uh, discipline and instruction. When we think of the word discipline, we often think of consequences, right? We think of something like, you know, love and logic and and consequences and, and allowing kids to fail sometimes so that they can learn on their own. Uh, whatever approach we have to discipline, we usually think of it as like a corrective action. But, but the word in Scripture here is much deeper. It has to do with the formation of character on the basis of God's word. And so we find this word used elsewhere in Paul's letter to Timothy. So in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All Scripture, the whole Bible, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, that word training is the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, 4 for discipline. So the idea is that fathers and mothers would give training in God's word to their kids. In fact, I believe this is why the word discipline and disciple, like a disciple of Jesus, have the same root word. Before this word ever meant corrective action, it meant more the formation of somebody's character through God's word. Let's talk now about this word instruction. This word instruction does not just mean instructing our kids to do some practical things that they need to know when they grow up. Of course, as parents, we're called to do that how to ride a bike, how to wash your hands for more than 30 seconds, right? Uh, how, to, uh, how to use the bathroom 
how to use a fork or a spoon. These are all those basic things we instruct kids. Now, some of the things that we teach our kids, we entrust to other people. So, for example, I will never teach my kids calculus because I don't really know calculus. I missed that somewhere in my education. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to entrust that to a good math teacher. I am not going to instruct my kids on how to swing a golf club because they'll have a terrible slice and they'll never win. Well, I guess you don't win at golf, but see how much I know about golf. Um, they would not be good golfers if I taught them how to golf. They would just waste their money. Uh, so there are some things that we teach our kids ourselves, but there are other things that we entrust to other people. Now, what Paul's teaching us here is that the instruction of the Lord is something that we don't just entrust to other people like pastors or ministry professionals, but the instruction in God's Word is primarily given to the role of mom and dad, that this is the primary role of a Christian parent, is to pass on the basics, the essentials of the faith to our kids, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, uh, the basic story of salvation, uh, those Scripture basics. So I want to talk about how this uh, is really a message that extends through all of Scripture. It's something that we see everywhere, that God has entrusted parents with the primary passing on of the faith to their kids. So let's take a look at a couple of Scriptures. Uh, we read this Scripture earlier, Deuteronomy 6, but I want to share it with you in a different translation from the message translation, which is more of a paraphrase. It says, Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. When we hear this idea of, of teaching the faith at home, I think that sometimes as parents we get a little anxious because we think, hey, we tried that this past spring and it just, it was kind of difficult, you know, teaching uh, distance learning and all that. Um, but really, this is not what Moses is talking about as he gives this command for parents to instruct their kids. He's really talking about the normal rhythms of life. He's talking about when you get up in the morning and you go to bed. You know, say your prayers together. When you, uh, when you walk on the road, talk about the scriptures. Uh, so here are just some, some practical ideas that you could do as a family, what this might look like. It, it might look like, uh, first of all, you as a parent spending five or ten minutes in God's Word every day so that you know the Word better, so you're able to have conversations with your kids. As you get into the Scriptures, you're going to build your confidence to talk with your kids about the Bible. And this doesn't mean that you start reading like the book of Leviticus or an obscure prophet like Obadiah first. What I'm talking about is getting into the basics like reading Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Paul's epistle to the Romans or, or something really uh, foundational so that you get that basic message of God's word into you. Uh, maybe it looks like you setting a goal with your third grader to remember the Ten Commandments or the Apostles' Creed. And then you practice it on the way to school or on the way to soccer practice. And then once you arrive at that goal, you go out for ice cream together and you celebrate because this is a monumental event that you've memorized something that's so integral to your faith. Or maybe it looks like just saying the Lord's Prayer together at bedtime or, or maybe at mealtimes reading a, a paragraph or a chapter out of the Bible or discussing the sermon after church. What we're talking about is not necessarily a formal lesson plan, 
not something that requires an education degree. It's just the simple rhythms of life, showing your kids God's word, praying with them, speaking to them about the scriptures. Another scripture that we just uh, recited a while ago in our psalm was this Psalm 78. Uh, He commanded our fathers to teach the commandments and the story of Israel to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So once again, this is the pattern of passing on the faith, is that, is that one generation passes it on to the next and the next. And not necessarily just parents, but also grandparents. Take a look with me at these uh, verses from 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, and he's reflecting on Timothy's own formation in the faith. And he says this, he says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so do you see the role of mother and and grandmother here in passing on the faith? We don't know much about Timothy's father except that he was a Greek and very likely not a believer in God. And so although he was not involved in this role, the grandmother and the mother were involved in passing on the faith to Timothy. And they passed it on to him. They made him acquainted with the scriptures from infancy, from very early in childhood. I believe that the church right now, and when I say the church, I don't mean just this church, but the church here in America, uh, both in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate and beyond, is going through a big shift right now. And that shift is that we've realized that we as the ministry professionals have gradually taken away parents' roles in teaching the faith. And so we've created this environment where we say, all right, parents, you just drop the kids off, we'll teach them, and then we'll call it good. But there's this change going on within the church as we're realizing that that Scripture has called us to entrust this to parents and to encourage and equip them in being the primary teachers in their kids' faith. And not only is it scriptural, but studies show us that parents have a bigger influence than pastors even in continuing the faith. This was uh, made real to me as Pastor Tim and I went to Phoenix in February for the uh, Best Practices in Ministry Conference. Uh, It seems like a long time ago because that was way back when you could actually go places, right? Uh, But at this conference, many of the the seminars were about the shift in the church of entrusting this noble task into the hands of parents. A particular church gave a presentation uh, about this transition. They're they're, uh, the staff of St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And they shared the story about how they made the transition to a staff-based teaching of the faith to one in which staff partner with parents and kids to do it together. And interestingly enough, they began this transition with an apology, with a formal apology to parents. They said, you know, it's not so much parents that you've dropped the ball, it's parents we have as the ministry professionals. We gradually over the decades have taken this responsibility away from you. And we haven't equipped you to do it. And so we formally apologize. And we're going to help you. We're going to assist you. We're going to encourage you 
in modeling and teaching the faith in your own home. And then they were quick to assure parents that, that although this might be a change, it might be difficult, it might have some challenges attached to it, that God never calls us to do anything without equipping us by his Holy Spirit to take up that task. And that they as ministry professionals would be there right alongside the parents helping them in this God-given role. Now, not everybody was happy about this transition. In fact, a lot of people were really upset about it. But as they continue with this transition, they've arrived at a place where they have a healthy, thriving confirmation program with more kids staying in the church afterwards, after confirmation. A confirmation program in which parents are more bold and more confident in having these faith conversations at home. Really, when it comes down to it, I believe that passing on the faith is really as simple as passing on anything that you're passionate about in your life. That's one of the joys of parenting is that you get to pass on to your kids things that you love as well. It might be something literal, physical, like a diamond ring that passes on through generation to generation that maybe a son might give to his fiancée at a proposal. Uh, it might be a sport or an activity or a movie series that you love and you want your kids to enjoy with you. So, for example, let's say that you love the Huskers. How do you pass that love of the Huskers to the next generation? Because wouldn't you agree with me that this passes through the generations? I mean, nobody signs their kids up for a class to confirm their allegiance to the Huskers so that they don't become Iowa fans, God forbid. That would be uh, blasphemy, right, here in Nebraska. But rather, we pass this on to our kids by just going to games together, right? By wearing red and watching the game on TV, by talking about the stats, talking about the players, talking about the, the upcoming season, reflecting on plays, watching the replays and saying, oh, did you see that moment? Remember that time when. Or if you're not so much into sports, maybe you're into movie series like Star Wars or the Marvel movies. How do you pass that on to your kids? You get together, you watch the movies, you go to the movie theater, you wait for the trailer to come out, you talk about the scenes, you talk about the characters, you pass that love on actually very naturally. And so just as we as parents pass on things to our kids that we love, we pass on the thing that we ought to love the most, which is our faith in Jesus Christ. Just as we spend countless hours and we spend uh, energy and time and commitment to things like homework and sports and dance and theater, we also devote our energy to having these conversations with our kids about the faith, modeling and teaching it and passing it on to them as we tell them about the one who loves them more than we could ever love them, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Father in heaven. In closing today, it's been my experience that the more we try to shift to a parent-led teaching of the faith, as the more we encourage parents to embrace this role of teaching the faith to their kids, that sometimes parents will say, I don't know if I can do this. And as your pastor, I just want to encourage you that you can do this by God's grace, that he comes alongside you to help you to do this, to encourage you in this noble task. I've often seen, too, that parents will feel a sense of guilt, as if we didn't have enough guilt as parents, right? Wondering, am I doing this right? Or maybe I've missed opportunities to pass on the faith. 
or maybe even as parents with kids who've grown up and gone off to college and gone off to adulthood and maybe they've drifted away from the faith, we might feel this consistent sense of guilt wondering, I missed those opportunities or maybe I didn't do this well enough. Well, God, when we hear the conviction of his word, he would call us sometimes to confess these things honestly and say, yeah, I I missed an opportunity. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that as a parent, I've missed opportunities and I grieve over those opportunities. Especially as a pastor, there's been times when I've misrepresented Christ to my kids and I grieve over that. But God would not have you remain in a guilt that Jesus Christ died to save you from. You see, in the highest points and in the lowest points of parenting, God is at work parenting you even as the parent. And here's the beautiful thing about your Father in heaven, is that your Father in heaven does not rub your nose in your mistakes or in your failures or the things that you've missed in the past. But your Father is the kind of Father who who comes alongside you with compassion and with love and says, your past is clear because of my Son Christ. Let's look at the moment right now praying for our kids, encouraging them, modeling the faith to them, even if they're all grown up and have families of their own. I think, for example, of uh, just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine your best parenting moment when your child drops the bowl of cereal and shatters the bowl when you told them not not to do that. Just imagine your best parenting moment, your ideal parenting moment. That's the way that God responds to you is that when we have missed opportunities, when we have failed to take up this role of teaching the faith to our kids, God comes alongside you in gentleness and compassion. He forgives you and he helps you to move ahead. That's the kind of compassion that God has for you. You see, in Jesus Christ, your God gives you something that no parenting book can give, and that's grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and the motivation to do by his spirit what you could never do yourself. And even as we struggle and we stumble in this task, because sometimes progress is so difficult in this life, God is patient with you. He walks alongside you as we take up this noble task of teaching the faith to the next generation. May God grant us grace to do this through his spirit. Amen. Amen.